Hello and welcome to the RBC Broadview Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Who's found something new and interesting in going through this series on Ephesians? A few of you? That's good. We've actually been going through it as a life group um, individually through the chapters as well. And just going through it in such in-depth has just really opened our eyes to some amazing truths in that book. In fact, you could say that Ephesians is like an overview of the whole Christian life. One of the people in our group said, so we only need to read Ephesians and nothing else in the Bible because that covers everything. We're like, not quite, but yeah. (laughs) But it does cover a lot of our Christian walk and it explains a lot of things and we see how in Christ everything changes. A view of ourselves our workplaces, our future, our church, our families, our homes. So in chapters 1 to 3, we looked at before Easter and we covered our identity in Christ, what God has done for us and who we are in Christ. And then since Easter, we've been covering the remaining chapters 4 to 6 and that covers our walk in Christ. How who, When we know who we are in Christ, it influences the way that we deal with ourselves and with others, but also with the enemy. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I think sometimes we forget that there's an enemy of God who is constantly trying to undermine our relationship with him. The Bible speaks of the devil or the enemy over a hundred times. And he's not portrayed as a man in red with horns and a pitchfork, which we always think. I remember singing a lot of cute little songs In Sunday school, who remembers, I'm too young to march in the infantry, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Or this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. Remember that one? Cute little songs, but the Bible makes it very clear that Satan is real and he's constantly working against God and his kingdom and attempting to thwart God's plans for our lives. Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief thief or the enemy's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose, Jesus' purpose, is to give a rich and satisfying life. 1 Peter 5.8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There's no cute picture here. The devil and his angels are actively trying to discourage us, to destroy our relationship with God. And his attacks are designed to manipulate the truth about God and your value in him. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, Luke, Jude and Revelation all mention the fact that Satan and his angels were thrown out of heaven because of rebellion and unrighteousness. And that same enemy who thought he had won when he nailed Jesus to the cross but was defeated when Jesus rose again, amen, has been trying his hardest 
to stop us having a rich and satisfying life in Christ ever since. Sometimes these attacks are obvious, like communism, where the governments try and stop uh, Christians from spreading the, the gospel. But other times they're not so obvious, like false teaching, temptation, even discouragement. The enemy is deceitful and cunning, and he doesn't always appear like we think he will. Remember in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were tempted, he appeared as a serpent, and that was an ordinary, everyday thing that you saw in a garden at that point. Nothing's changed. He appears as a normal part of life, something or someone in our everyday world, which will either lead us away from God and into sin, or attack us from a very unexpected source. A couple of months ago, I was reading a book called Between Heaven and the Real World. It's an autobiography by well-known Christian singer-songwriter Stephen Curtis Chapman. Has anyone read it? Amazing book, very challenging and inspiring, and I admired his tenacity, the things that he's been through, and the faith that he has, the trust in God that he has was unwavering and it prompted me to say I would love to have a strong faith like that. As soon as I said that, as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I'm like, I'm going to be in for a rough ride now. And momentarily I thought, what do I say that for? I shouldn't have said that. You know how like when you pray for patience and God makes sure he tests you in patience? But I put that doubt aside and I said, no. I want to have a faith like that. Bring it on, whatever it takes. A few days later, I received the roster for the upcoming few months preaching roster. I'd been placed on the roster for today to speak on the armour of God, the final chapter in Ephesians 6. This was no coincidence. Now, what you may not know is that anyone who preaches, and those of you here who have preached would know, When God wants you to preach on a particular topic, quite often you have to live it first so that you can preach with conviction. Yes? True? (laughs) And that's the beauty of God's word. It is alive and continually working in our lives to shape us and make us more like Christ. And that's why your testimony is so important. It's your story and no one can take that away from you. You've lived it and you've proven God's truth in your life. Well, trust me, I had to live this message. I'm not going to go into specific details because it's being recorded and going on the internet. But over the past couple of months, I've been through one of the most difficult and terrifying times of my life. There have been times when I feared for my safety and I feared for the outcome. Some of you here are aware, those in life group have been praying for me. And shameless plug for a life group at the moment. If you don't go to a life group, I encourage you, go to one because that's where we can share and pray for one another. Not only go through the Bible, but we learn more about each other and can support each other. And so I thank you for those of you who have been praying for me. But despite everything that was happening, I was 100% certain on one thing. This was a spiritual battle. I was reminded of Ephesians 6.12 that says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So despite what I was going through involving other human beings, I knew that this wasn't the real problem. And as long as we think our struggle is against flesh and blood with other people, we'll use flesh and blood weapons to try and fight the battle. We'll argue, we'll use, get angry, we'll try and take control, we might spend money, we might change jobs, we might move house. All sorts of things, flesh and blood type things, all in an effort to try and remove the problem. But we forget that our real enemy is still there, moving with us wherever we go. Just when Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He knew that what he was going through was a spiritual battle. It wasn't about the people. And Satan will use people and everyday situations to try and get to us. These people might even be well-meaning other Christians. They're not necessarily bad people. But Satan will use any and every opportunity he can to discourage us, to distract us and to take our focus off of God. Don't forget, the devil is not a novice in the art of spiritual warfare. He's had thousands of years to work on his tactics. But the Bible tells us that God has given us everything we need for a godly life and that the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. So let's have a look at what Ephesians 6 says. We've already sung through it with David and Elizabeth. But starting at verse 10 in Ephesians 6, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. A final word. Now, Paul here, the actual original Greek, is not just saying a final word, as in finally, but he's saying that in view of everything that I've just written about, our new identity in Christ and our relationships with each other. So in other words, from now on, be strong in the Lord. Receive strength from the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armour so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armour so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil, meaning hardships, pain or trouble. And then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Most of us have probably heard a thousand messages on the armour of God but I pray that what you hear this morning will be a revelation to you. That as Paul prayed in chapter 1, that the eyes of our heart will be opened and that you'll see something that you've never seen before. I've heard a lot of people say, oh no, not a lot of people, I've heard people say, oh, I put on my armour every morning and I don't leave home without it. If you do that, if that makes you feel better, I'm happy for you. But... Please don't rely on that. The reason I say that is that if, what happens if you forget to put on your armour one day? Does that mean the devil has free reign in your life that day? Or does it mean that you won't get attacked by the enemy if you do put it on each day? Let me tell you, that's room for disillusionment right there. 
And if that's the case, why was Jesus nailed to the cross? Why was he tempted in the wilderness? What if you die in your sleep and you haven't got your helmet of salvation on? So, hang on, heart attack. Just let me put my helmet of salvation on first. Now I can die. Does that mean you're not saved if you haven't got it on? Do you know this is actually superstition? If our safety and protection is based solely on whether we put on our armour each day, then we're placing a higher value on the armour and the armour's protection than on God himself. Also makes our protection based on works, not on Christ. Satan needs to ask permission before he can lay a finger on us. He can't do any more than God allows. Think about Job. Satan had to ask God for permission to test Job. And in Luke 22, Jesus says to Peter that Satan had asked to sift the disciples as wheat. And Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So the Bible tells us that Jesus is interceding for us. So why then does Paul instruct us to put on God's armour? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Verse 11 says, put on God's armour. The Greek is enduo, which implies a sense of sinking into a garment or investing in. So we're investing in God's armour. We're putting all of our trust in that. And then verse 13, when he says it again, it's a different Greek word. It's analambano, which means take it, receive it. It's freely available to you. So in other words, Paul is saying, when we understand our identity in Christ, chapters 1 to 3, that we're blessed, we're chosen, we're predestined, we're adopted, we're accepted, redeemed, forgiven, loved. And then when we start to walk in Christ, chapters 4 to 6, by putting off the old life and putting on the new and submitting to each other, then... Finally, then in view of everything that I've just written about our identity in Christ and our relationships with each other, then you'll know your position in Christ. So dive right in, sink in, invest in it, put all your trust in it. Putting on God's armour is not some magic formula for warding off the enemy. As Christians, we will still be attacked and all the more so, the closer we walk with God. Even Jesus wasn't immune, as I've already said, to the enemy's attempt to lead him into temptation and sin. But what matters is our position. Are you in Christ? Verse 13 says, Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Are you still standing after the battle? Paul uses the armour as an illustration because he's talking about spiritual warfare and the battles that we face as Christians. But the importance is not on the armour itself, but on being in Christ. Effective spiritual warfare is God-centred, not devil-centred. Our salvation means that we're no longer in Adam as, as in following the ways of the flesh. But where through baptism and dying to self, we've been raised to a new life in Christ or in union with Christ, 
following the ways of the Spirit. Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Note too that the armour is not ours, it's God's. Paul says, put on God's armour. We read in Isaiah 59 that he's already worn it. I'll put that one on the screen too, I think. Um, Isaiah 59, 16 and 17 in the message version says, God looked and saw evil looming on the horizon. So much evil and no sign of justice. He couldn't believe what he saw. Not a soul around to correct this awful situation. So he did it himself. He took on the work of salvation, fueled by his own righteousness. He dressed in righteousness, put it on like a suit of armour, with salvation on his head like a helmet. Put on judgment like an overcoat and threw a cloak of passion around his shoulders. So he's already worn it and now he gives it to us, having already achieved the victory. It's been tested and proven. So let's briefly look at this armour. Verse 14 says, Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armour of God's righteousness. Satan is a liar. Jesus tells us in John 8.44 that he is the father of lies and there's no truth in him. His attacks are designed to manipulate the truth about God and your value in him. How many times have you heard, if God cared, why does he allow X, Y, Z to happen? Or you're not loved, nobody cares about you. These are lies from the enemy. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. And then he says, and put on the body armour of God's righteousness. Satan hates righteousness. His whole aim is to cause us to sin, and then he's first in line to condemn us when we do. Revelation 12.10 tells us that he accuses us day and night before God. But 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, as in Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus is truth. Jesus is our righteousness. Then in verse 15, he goes on, For the shoes put on peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In our backyard, we have a lot of cowtrip or cowthrip, however you want to say it. And in the summer times, you don't walk outside without shoes on. I think we've got a picture of them up there. Yep. Sometimes they manage to make their way into the house on the bottom of someone's shoe. And if you're walking around the house barefoot, you soon know about it. And sometimes you can't even stand, it's that bad. There's definitely no peace running through your body then. And maybe some of you parents, if I said Lego, you might relate to it more. But did you know that these are actually a military weapon? They were used in ancient Roman times from as early as 331 BC. Made with four spikes, as you can see, 
so that whichever way they fall, one of the spikes is always pointing upwards and they'll be thrown on the ground to wound or slow down advancing soldiers or horses. The enemy's constantly trying to throw these at us. Guilt, condemnation, relationship issues, job insecurities, health crises, anything that might sap our peace and wound us or slow us down. John 16.33 says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So Jesus is our truth. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our peace. Then in 16, verse 16, Paul goes on, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Fiery arrows were a common ancient wartime weapon and they have a twofold effect. If a soldier needs to continue trying to defend the enemy but he's also trying to put out spot fires at the same time and Satan will throw fiery arrows at us and if he can throw them in quick succession bang 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 and bombard us so that we feel like everything is going wrong at the same time then we become overwhelmed. The shield is a piece of armour which we don't actually wear so we don't actually put it on but we hold Paul says hold it So Satan will try and make you put down or let go of your faith and take your eyes off Jesus by throwing everything at once. How many times have you said, if it was one thing I could cope, but everything all at once, it's just too much? That's his plan. We have a choice. We can either blame God, keep our eyes on our situation, let go of our faith. Or, as we sang earlier, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is my song, my melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. Praise is an incredible weapon. It positions us to be in right standing with God. It increases our faith and it focuses on the one who is all we need. And it takes our eyes off our circumstance. Psalm 22.3 tells us that God is enthroned on the praise of his people. So when we praise God in and through and despite our circumstance, we're placing him on the throne where he belongs. That's what holding on to faith is. Continuing on with my experience, once I recognised that it was not a flesh and blood issue. This battle I was facing was a spiritual battle. I knew I needed to give God all the praise. He was in control. Some days are better than others. Some days are harder than others. But one thing I'm sure of, God is on my side and the enemy has already been defeated. On one of my exceptionally low days, as I hopped into my car feeling completely overwhelmed, and human I said God I know you are in control but I just need you to wrap your arms around me I was listening to a random playlist on Spotify I'd never listened to it before and just then the Petra song came on the battle belongs to the Lord who remembers that song 
glamour rock Petra. I, I put that song on repeat and the rest of the trip home, I just kept singing that song and praising God. The battle belongs to the Lord. And in that same period of time, I had an email from someone, an SMS from someone else and a messenger message from someone else who wouldn't normally message me but just giving me some encouragement. And I thought, God, you are so good. At the times when we're at our lowest, God is good. And so let that be warning to you, not warning, but encouragement for you that if God lays someone on your heart and you think, I should message him, just do it. Because you don't know what you are doing in that person's life at that time. That's the Holy Spirit working through you, using you. Because we are his hands and feet on this earth. Psalm 28.7 says, The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust in him with all my heart. So he's our truth. He's our righteousness. He's our peace. He's our shield of faith. Put on the salvation as your helmet. This isn't talking about whether we're saved or not. We don't take it off and put it on daily. That was a bit tongue-in-cheek earlier. The literal translation from the gospel, sorry, from the Greek, from the Greek is soterian. He who personifies salvation. That's what it actually means in the Greek. He who personifies salvation. And as Paul has already expressed earlier in Ephesians, Christ is the head of the church, his body. And as I read earlier in Isaiah 59, 17, he put on righteousness as his body armour and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. The Hebrew word for salvation in this verse is Yeshua, which is where we get the name Jesus. So once again, it's not anything we do but it's who we are in Christ. Lastly, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, in the New Testament, there are three different Greek words for our word, word. So there's logos, there's apangelo, and there's rhema. On this occasion, the Greek word is rhema. We often think that word refers to the Bible as in the scriptures as a whole. But rhema is translated more as the right now word of God. So it's a word for your current situation. It's a Holy Spirit inspired word that is for a specific purpose or situation. You know how sometimes when you're reading the Bible and something just jumps out at you and it's just what you need for that time. It's almost like you've never read it before. It's so fresh and inspired. That's a rhema word. So when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he didn't just use a random Bible verse. He used a specific word for that particular circumstance and that particular temptation. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, God, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. So we see that Ephesians 6 is not about armour. It's not even about us or anything we need to do. 
It's purely about Christ and who Christ is and who we are in him, our identity and the outworking of him in our lives, of being in Christ and about our position in him. What's your position? With my own situation, I'm not saying that everything is now fixed. It's far from it. And short of a miracle, I can't see it ever being fixed or resolved. I'm not saying that I cope better than anyone else. I'm not saying I've got it together. I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt. It does, tremendously. I'm not saying I'm a perfect person. I don't always get it right. But what I do know is who I am in Christ. And I know whose I am. And I know that the enemy has no hold on me unless I allow him to. At this point in time, there is absolutely nothing I can do to change my situation. But what I can do is acknowledge that this is the Lord's battle. I praise him for who he is. I can rest in him. So whether things will ever change, I don't know. All I know is that God's got this. He's totally in control. He's on the throne. He knows what he's doing. I've heard that somewhere before. God knows what he's doing. He is on the throne. Whatever you're going through at the moment, he's got it. It's his battle. Let him fight it. He does a far better job than we can. Just praise him. What's your position? Are you in a position of praise? The Bible's very clear that God is Lord of all and even the demons are subject to him. The devil cannot do anything to you without God's permission. This means that whatever happens, God is always in control and Jesus is interceding for you and the Holy Spirit is equipping you with power from on high. It doesn't mean that God wants to hurt you but if he's allowing you to go through something, it means that he trusts that you will trust him. It's a good thing. It means he trusts you. So you can either reject that and try to do things in your own strength or you can praise God and still be standing at the end. Verse 13 again says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armour, in other words, put on Christ, so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. You will still be standing. How awesome is that? Paul then goes on in the next few verses to say to pray not only for yourself but to pray for each other and pray for him. This is, this is a corporate thing. Christ is the head of the body, the church. So when we go through something, it's not just us going through it but we are the legs and hands and feet and arms and everything else of Christ as Christ's body here in the church. So if one person suffers, we all suffer. So pray for one another. As I said before, in life groups, share 
what you're going through. Allow each other to pray for you because that's how the body of Christ works. So if you want prayer this morning, I might just get David to come up and play for us. If you need prayer this morning, perhaps you don't have a relationship with God and you'd like to get to know him. Or perhaps you are going through a difficult time and the Satan, Satan is really having a field day with you at the moment and you just want prayer for that. Or maybe you're just struggling to hand it over, to stand in Christ and know that he's got this. If you want prayer for that, then I encourage you, just come forward, sit on the front row and, and I'll sit there and pray with you. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.